Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hello. I'm John Patrick Higgins. And these are my strange stories. Why not relax, kick off your shoes, and enjoy the peculiar worlds inside my head. Inside John Patrick Higgins. Cafes of Desire Is anyone sitting there? There was nobody sitting there. I confirmed this with a haste that was just the right side of seemly. My body language changed, I pushed back into my seat and parted my legs. I was a chair, asking her to sit on me. She didn't. She quickly monopolised the table. I had a cup and saucer, spoon, an uneaten Italian biscuit, a notebook, a pen and a well-thumbed copy of Mr Palomar. These things were as nothing before the icebreaker of her handbag. The cup in its saucer chattered like teeth and the dog-eared Calvino edged over the precipice. Her bag was large and black with pale cracks in the leather at each corner, fine as spider's webs. There was something embossed on the side of the bag, or rather something had been pressed into its flesh. If it had once been legible, that was no longer the case. It was a scar now, pitted and semicircular, with a glass of skin mended over bone. The bag continued its voyage over the table, a black ship in full sail. Sorry, she said, diving into it and retrieving a pair of glasses which she put on. The lenses were badly scratched and smudged with fingerprints, and I could barely see her eyes through the scuffed refraction of the cafe's strip lighting. She whisked the bag off the table and onto her chair and rolled her coat from her shoulders, draping it over the chair back. As she moved towards the counter, she half turned towards me. Sorry, you don't mind, do you? The bag? Of course, I said, meaning of course not. I looked at her quite casually. She was slim and tall with dark, curling hair. She leaned into the curving counter as she talked to the barista, her hips resting on the swell of the glass display case. Her nose, with the glasses resting on it, was long and sharp. I returned to my notebook, but my thoughts were distracted, my gaze inevitably drawn back to her animated discussion over the artisan sausage rolls. I looked at what I had written. I had come to the cafe to steal. I was writing a novel about an isolated man and I was in a cafe for verisimilitude. The conversations of old ladies and young mums, that sort of thing. Life experience that our hero would never know. 
happy people, knitted into the community in easily defined roles, the salt of the earth next to my stultifying clod. It wasn't working. Cafes were not the melting pots they used to be. At least this one wasn't. It was too upmarket. There was no grist. All human life was elsewhere. This was a middle-class verisimilitude I could fake in my sleep. This part of town used to be dark with post-industrial grime. A damp clay grey that smelled of petrol and beer farts and lined your nostrils with black grit. Now it looked like every other part of town. Any town. Still, the coffee was better. I looked back towards the counter. The girl appeared to be in the middle of an animated conversation with the server. It wasn't aggressive. If anything, it was familiar, like an ongoing conversation between old friends. I picked up the copy of Mr. Palomar and then looked again at my own inadequate notes. Calvino's prose was crisp and precise. The sentences were seamlessly dovetailed, even in translation. His writing was like a game of Jenga. Sentences piled on top of one another, the process agonisingly teased out, the deliberate and detailed precision masking the writer's swagger, his poise. This was Calvino at the height of his powers, exulting in his own strength. Meanwhile, I had written this sentence. Robinson pushed his hand into the belly of the sofa and met something warm, something solid, something hairy and lively with jagged little teeth. I striped the page with a fat black line and looked over to see the girl. But there was no sign of her. I looked at the bag. It was still there, the coat too. Must have gone to the loo, I thought. I returned to the page, staring blankly at Robinson. I had no idea what to do with Robinson. I had forgotten who Robinson was. Why would my readers give a shit about Robinson if I knew nothing about him? What sort of a name was Robinson anyway? No one was actually called Robinson. It was a barley water, a racist jam, a desert island dweller with a stirring theme tune. I'd never met anyone called Robinson. It was an ersatz name. No one was actually called Robinson. People just assumed they were because it kept cropping up on neighbours. I ran another line through Robinson. It was a stupid, boring name and it was ruining my book. How could someone called Robinson kill a vampire? You need a van something. Forget the van, it's been done to death. How about Kincaid or Kindale? Carden? Clunes? Could Clunes ever be a satisfactory protagonist in anything? Wishart? Bellamy? Benfield? Newman? Neumann? Garrett? Parrot? Peters? Lee? Bassett? Bowley? Moncrief? Hart, Atkins, Watkins, Pipkins, Smurfit, Parfit, Rossi, Ball, Svenonius, Suzuki, Svenonius Suzuki, Potter, Thatcher, Smith, Wainwright. I was tentatively scratching in the name Wainwright when I noticed movement at the opposite side of the table. The girl was back. Thanks for looking after it for me, she said. No problem, I said, looking up. It was not the girl. It was certainly a girl, but it was not the girl, not the same girl. Sorry I was so long, she said. No problem, I said, staring at her. Oh, she looked similar. The same build, the same style of clothing, and the hair was pretty close. 
but they were not the same. If you'd seen her in passing, you might have mistaken her for the same girl, but not me. I had looked properly. I had taken my time. And this was a completely different person. She reached for the handbag. What do you think you're doing? I said. What do you mean? I'm watching that bag for someone. Yes, but I'm back, she said. Nice try, I said coolly. It's my bag. You saw me put it here. No, I saw someone put that bag there, and when she returns, I'll gladly give it back to her. It was me. Come on. There was an implied love at the end of the come on, but I didn't say it in case it sounded sexist and patronising, even though I was in the right. You haven't even made an effort. You're not dressed the same, your hair's wrong, and I hate to say it, but you're just not as pretty. Sorry. I'm taking my fucking bag. No, you're not. Is there a problem? said a pasting barista who may have been under the impression he was a policeman. I'm sorry, I said, failing to recognise his authority, at least until he put the mop down. He directed the same question specifically to the girl. I asked this idiot to look after my bag and now he's saying it isn't mine. Well, it isn't. Oh, for fuck's sake! She swept up the bag and coat in a single movement and pushed into the street outside. I scrabbled to my feet, but the server blocked me. What are you doing? She's getting away! Leave it, sir, said the youth. The sir was a slight. You're abetting a crime, I said. We did a little dance, him jogging to one side in anticipation of me moving in that direction, and then moving in the other direction just as I had chosen to go that way instead. He would have been a boon to any five-a-side team. I scooped up my possessions, slipping the notebook, paperback and pens into the pockets of my raincoat. I have to go, I said. I do not want to be here when the owner gets back. I punched my arms through the sleeves of my coat and limped towards the door, as, in all the excitement, I hadn't realised my foot had gone to sleep. I had a duty of care, I announced to the freshly interested cafe audience. They may have been middle class, but they had the prurient appetite for spectacle of a nation raised on Jeremy Kyle. They were hoping for violence. I was hoping to cheat them of it, though I would have welcomed the lie detector test. I went outside. The street was oblivious. Men in baseball caps trundled over uneven paving on mobility scooters. Pigeons stabbed at discarded chip packets. On the other side of the street, a youth with an arm in plaster noisily failed to make another jump on a skateboard. There was no sign of the girl in the stolen coat with the stolen bag. I tried for a moment to put myself in her shoes, to try and imagine where a girl who had just successfully committed daylight robbery would go next. But almost as quickly as I started, I gave up. Because how could I possibly know? Inside John Patrick Higgins was brought to you by the colour blue and the letter G. Written and performed by John Patrick Higgins, it was produced and edited by Graham Watson. Thank you.